Good morning. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 10 and we're going to look at the last five verses. Verses 38 through 42. We're going to talk about Martha and Mary. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray together. Lord, as always, we're grateful that you've allowed us to be here. It's a a grace from you, Lord. It's a gift from you that you've brought us together as a family of believers, given us a place, Lord, where we can gather and hear the Word of God taught, where we can encourage one another, strengthen one another, pray for one another, and in every way, Lord, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As always, Lord, as we approach the Word, we want to read it carefully so that it might have its effect, Lord, just by being read. And then we want to talk about it, Lord, with the help of God the Holy Spirit, that He would take the word that has been read and the words that would be spoken and that He would touch and reach hearts, that all of us would find a new fruitfulness in our love for You and in our service to You. Accomplish these things and many, many more, Lord. That's our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. There have been some great movie taglines. A tagline is that one sentence summary of the entire film. See if you recognize some of these and you'll know what I'm talking about. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Right? Star Wars. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Actually, Jaws 2 A regrettable movie, but uh, that was the tagline for Jaws 2. All those people had to get eaten in Jaws 1 before you could say that. Houston, we have a problem. Apollo 13. The toys are back in town. Toy Story. There are 3.7 trillion fish in the ocean. They're looking for one. Finding Nemo. All right, good for you. If our text today were made into a movie, we'd have to come up with a tagline now, wouldn't we? We could say, a long time ago in a village far, far away. Okay? (laughs) Just when you thought it was safe to sit at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, I have a problem. Those don't really work. So it's harder than you think to come up with these pithy taglines. Maybe something like this. Two sisters, two choices, one priority. Hey, that's, that's right on the mark. It's 
still, I think I'll stick to my day job. The story of Martha and Mary, the two sisters, does present you with two choices, and it does emphasize one priority. The two choices were work or listen to the word. The priority was what Jesus called the good part, and that was the word. There was definitely work to be done, and as we'll see, both sisters did their share. But at some point, Martha was distracted by the work while Mary remained attentive to the word. It's a story that will help us understand our own priority as Christians and what we should emphasize as we work for Jesus. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, emphasize God's word and it will impact your work for God. And number two, emphasize your work for God and it will distract from God's word. First of all, in verses 38 and 39, emphasize God's word and it will impact your work for God. I'm going to tell you throughout this study that the Word of God, the Bible, should be your priority both personally and publicly. Most Christians would agree, but as we will also see, they don't always emphasize God's Word. Instead, they are distracted and they emphasize your work for God. For example, maybe you go to a church or you go to Bible study. Things are going well for you. Not too many trials in your life. Still, even though you need to be refreshed, you need to be encouraged, you need to receive a word from the Lord. More likely when you go to church or Bible study, you're struggling with a relationship or with some physical problem or a financial hurdle. You're wounded, spiritually spent, needing desperately to hear a word from the Lord. Too often what you hear is how far short you are falling and failing in your work for God. You hear that you're not praying enough. You hear that you're not serving enough. You're never giving enough, are you? Churches are forever asking you for more money. Some project is failing for your lack of commitment. I would say that the work for God has taken priority over the Word of God in those situations. Martha and Mary illustrate what I'm saying. They were the sisters of Lazarus, whom Jesus would later raise from the dead. Jesus was often in their home in the little village of Bethany, about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Luke is the only one of the gospel writers who presents this dramatic scene of the two sisters, their two choices, the one priority. And so in verse 38, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. They went means Jesus was accompanied by his 12 disciples. Although the scene focuses on Jesus and the two sisters, it's likely that the 12 were also welcomed into the house. The verse says that Martha welcomed him into her house, but that doesn't exclude Mary from showing them hospitality. In verse 40, Martha will let us know that Mary had been helping her because she'll say, my sister has left me to serve alone. Mary must have been helping or she couldn't have left from helping. As for Mary, we read in verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Mary was Martha's younger sister. She appears three times in the Gospels, and each time she appears, she's at Jesus' feet. 
Here she sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his word. In John chapter 11, verse 32, when her brother Lazarus has died, but before Jesus raised him from the dead, she would fall at Jesus' feet and share her woe with him. Then in John chapter 12, verse 3, she would anoint Jesus' feet as an act of worship, pouring out costly ointment upon him as a symbol of pouring out her own worship. Now, we sometimes describe Mary in these verses in Luke as worshiping at Jesus' feet, but that's not really accurate. Certainly, she was a worshiper and she was being worshipful. But the emphasis in this story is not on her worship, but on God's word. When you sat at the feet of a teacher, you were taking the position of a learner, listening intently to what was being said in a posture that indicated you were submitted to that teacher and to his teaching. And so the emphasis here is on the word of God. Now notice something else from a careful reading of verse 39. You're told, and it says, Mary also sat at Jesus' feet. This little word also lets you know that Martha also was there for a while. These details help us better recreate the scene. Jesus and his disciples came to the house of Martha and Mary. Probably the sisters had some advanced knowledge they were coming and so had been making preparations for their arrival. You know what it's like when you know people are going to show up, uh, you know, and, and, and you just have to get the house a little bit ready. There's some cleaning that needs to be done, some straightening out, uh, you know, there's, there's just kind of a, a buzz of activity that goes on because you want to be hospitable. And so the house needs to be picked up, the guest room or rooms readied. There would be a trip to the market to get what was necessary. You know, in their culture, big on hospitality, all of a sudden at least 13 more people were going to be around for a few days, and uh, they didn't have a whole lot of refrigeration. Uh, none of the archaeologists have come up with a Frigidaire yet, as far as I can tell. And so there was a trip to the market with an extra uh, amount of stuff to bring home and get ready. Then back at home, both sisters participated in welcoming Jesus and the twelve. This would involve the customary greetings, anointing with oil, seeing that all the feet were washed, and then serving refreshment and then following it up with a meal. At some point, Martha and Mary both sat at Jesus' feet to listen to him teach God's word. Mary kept getting distracted by work she thought needed to be done. And so there, Jesus is teaching, they're sitting there, and Martha is looking over and she sees John dipping his bread into the bread dipping plate and it comes up empty. And it's no big deal to John, but Martha has to get up and grab the dipping sauce and fill his plate. And just about the time she gets back and Jesus is continuing his teaching, she notices that Thomas, his glass is empty. And so she grabs the pitcher and she goes and she fills the pitcher with whatever they're drinking and brings it back. And just about that time, and, and you get the idea, there's always something going on when you've got at least 13 people sitting around the table and, and it's the end of the meal. I mean, you're going to run out of something every few minutes. And so she busied herself in that way. 
Mary helped her to a certain extent, as we've seen, but always ended up quickly back at the feet of Jesus. And by the way, I know Mary helped Martha because when Martha said, my sister has left me to serve alone, scholars tell me it is in a verb tense that means my sister keeps on leaving me to serve alone. And so she goes with her to help her to a certain extent, but then quickly comes back, leaving Martha to do more and Mary getting back to listening to Jesus. Now, it's important to establish all these details to keep us from exaggerating the scene. Martha wasn't only working, ignoring God's word. Mary wasn't only listening to the word, ignoring the work. It wasn't that Martha had a work ethic and Mary had a word ethic. Both sisters were interested in the word and both worked. Mary seemed to understand better than Martha the priority of the word. And thus she placed greater emphasis on listening to the word than on the work that could be done. The priority of the word. Emphasize the word. Your work is to be subordinate to the word. These are preliminary lessons that we learn from this little story. This scene a long time ago in a village far, far away. First service didn't get that either, but I always count on you. You know, I always tell first service that you guys will be sharper, but. Or it could just not be funny. Anyway, this little scene teaches us how to conduct ourselves as Christians and as a church. Our meetings should always be built around the teaching or the preaching of God's word. God's Word is the power of God unto salvation. It is through the Word that lives are changed. And so it has to be central. And since our meeting should be built around the teaching and preaching of God's Word, every other ministry becomes a support to that main objective. And this is really a great help in trying to figure out What should we do and how should we do it as a church fellowship? Well, if you set your main priority as the teaching of the Word of God, as as an environment in which people can sit, as it were, at the feet of Jesus and hear the Word of God taught and preached, then it helps you to make certain other decisions. Let me give you an example of how this affects policy. I could choose any of our ministries, but uh, let me talk about our children's ministry for just a minute. We have a policy, as you know, of encouraging children to attend children's worship and then go to their own age-appropriate Sunday school class. The policy is based upon the priority of God's Word. First of all, we believe it is just as important that kids hear God's Word as it is for adults. A lot of people I've talked to over the years have told me that they received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior at a very young age in a Sunday school class. And they can't remember their pastor, but they can remember their Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Jones, Mr. Smith, whoever it might be. And and, and it's exciting. I know a lot of parents have the experience... And you come home from church and say, well, you know, what did you learn in Sunday school today? Oh, we, we colored a picture of, you know, Jesus taking a uh, coin out of a fish's mouth. It was really cool. And the teacher brought in a trout and we put a quarter in its mouth and it was kind of stinky, but it was fun. And, you know, uh, and I got saved. What? <laughs> yeah, the teacher at the end said, does anybody want to be sure that they know Jesus Christ as their Savior and if you died tonight, do you know you'd go to heaven? And, and I said, sure, that's me. And I rose my hand and can I go out and play now? 
And, and you think, oh, is that real? And so, but a lot of the, that's where people get saved. A great number of people in their childhood going to Sunday school or some vacation Bible school or something like that. And we just believe that a child can best do that at their own age level. Age-appropriate instruction. Now, sometimes folks will tell us their child is extremely well-behaved and can sit quietly during the entire adult service. Even if that were true. (laughs) And it can be true. I agree. The child is not hearing God's Word taught in a way that can best impact their life for Jesus. Sadly, it's not always true. A lot of times parents, and I I agree with you, I'm not, if you want to tell me that your child is extremely well behaved, I believe you. But your idea of being well behaved might be compared to a primate. (laughs) All you have to do is go to a movie anymore and see what I'm talking about. Always. For a while we tried to go to movies late at night, figuring that, Kids will for sure be in bed or with a babysitter. Oh, no. What better place to have a sleeping baby than in the darkness of a THX theater? And so here it's 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And, uh, you know, kids who should be in bed at 5, 6, 7 o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, it's a whole process. The, the fidgeting, the crying... Five, ten minutes right there. Okay, the child is not going to quick. So now I'll hold the child. Five, ten minutes more. Okay, I'll get up and stand in the aisle with my child. I'll go down to the front and walk back and forth under the screen. It's, it's interesting, the, the level at which different people think something is a distraction. And so there's no doubt that children can be a distraction. And we do believe that teaching God's Word is important for adults as well. And it's already difficult enough to concentrate. Especially as you get older. I have notes and I can't concentrate. Sometimes you see I take a long pause and I smile. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> My family always... Pam, she goes, she goes, you're losing your place a lot. Do you sure... You think, I think you need to be checked out. Come with me to my neurologist appointment or whatever and stuff. And, and, and so, you know, we want the adults to concentrate as well. And, and, and so it, it's, it's based on not any personal preference. It's based on this philosophy, this policy that we want the Word of God to be taught and received. Now, at the same time, we try to remain sensitive to the preferences of parents and families. We've established some alternatives for families who initially disagree with our policy. We have the cry room where you can hang out and watch the TV in there. Set up the foyer back there to accommodate folks with kids. Uh, The fellowship hall is available where you can watch the main service. Wednesday nights, kids are with us in the worship. uh, And and, um, then they're dismissed for their class. So we're, we're doing our best to try and accommodate everyone. But our policy puts emphasis on the Word of God. And, and that's just who we are. I really think, I don't think all churches should be like ours. That would be awful. Be, you know, I mean, where's the variety? And stuff? But, but our policy is to emphasize God's Word. Other churches might have different policies to emphasize different things. I know one of the churches in town, I talked to their pastor years ago, uh, 
they don't like to have multiple services. They, they think multiple services are like anathema, you know, that, that they're the worst thing in the world. Anathema is a Bible word I shouldn't have used. I'm sorry, excuse me. I saw some of you scrunch. It means curse to the lowest hell, and I didn't want to say the word hell. Excuse me. But anyway... So they don't like to have multiple services. Their goal is to have one big service so that all the church can fellowship together. They put a, a big premium on fellowship. Well, we love fellowship, but we can't have everybody all together. And, and I love multiple services because I can clean up my mistakes from first service. In fact, I'm thinking about having a third service this morning. But that's, that's, and so when you think, gee, I wonder why they're doing that, usually we have a reason, and the reason has something to do with the teaching of God's Word or with the presentation of God's Word because we really believe that that's where lives are changed and, and that that is the basis for our fellowship and the basis for everything else we do. And so that's what we're going to emphasize. I could have used any ministry as an example because every ministry must support the main goal of people hearing the Word of God. Mary understood the priority of God's word, and that is where she placed her emphasis. Her work for God was subordinated to the word of God, not Martha. And so in verses 40 through 42, emphasize your work for God and it will distract you from God's word. Martha had been sitting with Mary at Jesus' feet, but we're told in verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. Distracted is a word that means pulled away from or dragged away from. It implies that Martha wanted to be at Jesus' feet, but instead her work for God took priority. And so we don't want to be unfair towards Martha. She's for sure going to get rebuked, no doubt about it. There's no way that we can construct this in any way to say that what she did was, was correct. But she had right, a right heart. She really wanted to hear the word of God. She just allowed herself to be overly distracted. And that's a good question for us to uh, ponder this morning. What distracts you from sitting at Jesus' feet? We can expand the question to include things besides and beyond our work for the Lord. For example, if you're a Christian, I know that you want to spend time with the Lord in His Word every morning and every evening. What hinders you? Well, there's lots of things that hinder you. And I'm not even talking about the sinful things. Just normal things like sleep and food and going to work and, and all the things that really do need to be done. I mean, there are things that you have to do in life. At the same time, though, is it really needful right at that moment? Can you get up a little bit earlier, stay up a little bit later? Do you really need breakfast? I know you need to go to work, but, you know, I'm, can you listen to tapes on the way to work? I mean, there's all of us have the same amount of time. And, and what happens is, uh, you know, years ago they used to call it the tyranny of the urgent, where, where there's always things pressing on you. And the devil is real good about that. Uh, you know, I've, I'm fond of telling you how, how computers have improved our lives. Sure, sure they have. But now you spend, I spend like probably hours making sure my computer doesn't get a virus i have ad aware and spy bot and cw shredder and and i've got you know 18 different virus programs and and uh you know firewalls 
and all of them need to be updated and none of them work with the other. And, you know, it's like it's crazy. And so there's a lot of things that press upon you. You have to say, look, what do I really need to do? What is the most needful thing? And so verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Wow. Now, there's a couple of things here. Number one, and I really think this is precious. Jesus was so approachable and Martha was so familiar with him that she felt comfortable enough to interrupt his teaching and suggest that he didn't care about what was going on and he should tell Mary what to do. This is incredible when you stop and think about it. I mean, we do. We have the idea, as much as we try to humanize Jesus in his humanity, God, fully God, man, fully man, as much as we try and see him in his humanity, we always think of him in these weird movie terms. We see Jesus teaching with his glazed eyes, not blinking. And then Martha coming out and doing this and Jesus going something like this. Martha, Martha, you know, and it's and now see, I have a completely different view of Jesus. Jesus was not only, you know, uh, not only God, but insightful as well. And and I mean, he knew Martha really well. And he saw what was going on between her and Mary. It had already been distracting him. He's teaching and every few minutes, Martha's getting up and pulling Mary with her, casting glances at Mary, you know, and and flitting around the table and Jesus is... And, and, but I, he, I don't see Jesus getting mad. I see him laughing to himself. And probably when Martha wasn't like, because this was what I would do, elbowing John, who was probably sitting next to him, says, five minutes. I give her five minutes before she can't take it anymore. And so, I mean, he knew what was going on. And, and, and so here's... But, and yet, totally approachable. Martha doesn't have any qualms or, 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 or any fear of blurting out in the middle of Jesus' teaching about what was happening. And I think that's precious. It's, it's a real insight into what Jesus was really like. And he's usually not like what we think. Now, can you imagine interrupting Jesus while he was teaching? Worse than that, can you imagine accusing him of not caring? Still worse, can you imagine telling him what to do? I can, because I do it any time and every time I grow discouraged that I don't have enough help or support in my work for God. There is far too much complaining that not enough people are volunteering to do the work. And sometimes I think the Lord is still looking down, elbowing Gabriel, saying, hey, watch this, Gene is going to sputter out here in a few minutes, man. He's just going to go nuts. But that's okay, I'll forgive him. If Martha believed she was being led by God to get up from Jesus' feet and work in the background, assisting him somehow in the teaching, then she should have been content with that. She would have been experiencing fellowship with the Lord in her work rather than thinking she was missing out on something. Instead, she missed out on everything. Verse 41, And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, You are worried and troubled about many things. You know you've blown it when your name gets repeated twice. 
I mean, that's it, right? Gene, Gene. And I mean, you're done. Whatever you've done, it's wrong. Worried indicates her internal agitation. Troubled is a description of how she was acting it out. As I suggested, you could tell that there was a buildup going on of irritation and frustration. It started off, you know, with her just whispering to Mary, Mary, come and help me. I can't reach the bread dipping sauce. And then Mary wasn't helping her enough, and so she'd start giving her dirty looks. And then probably sighing was the next thing. Everything's fine. (sighs) Then making noises, you know, extra noises in the kitchen and everything's fine. And and those kinds until finally she just couldn't take it anymore. And she just full on interrupts Jesus and says what she said. Verse forty two, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. What is the one thing that was needed? The emphasis seems to be on the word one. In other words, it's not so much of one thing from a list of things as it is establishing the number one priority. The one thing that would be the title of your list that will suggest all the other items on it and their order. And the scene illustrates the priority of the word. Martha was busied and distracted serving the Lord, but she knew from listening to Jesus that Jesus had come to earth to serve, not to be served. Martha was focusing on the meal, but she knew from listening to Jesus that his food was to do the will of his father and that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Martha and Mary were in the same house, facing the same pressures, Martha chose to put the word on hold while she worked. Mary chose to put her work into perspective by keeping the word as her priority. Thus, the first item on her list was to listen to Jesus teach. The dishes, the cleanup could wait. If John needed more dipping sauce, he could get it himself. If Thomas needed a fill up on his drink, he knew where the kitchen was, those kinds of things. She was going to listen to the Lord. Jesus said, Mary has chosen that good part. Again, it's a matter of her priority. She chose what was best at that particular time. She chose to take advantage of Jesus being in her home as a time of learning rather than a time of serving. And so you have choices to make. They should always be governed by your priority. And you should choose the best each time. You know that life doesn't come at you in a neat package. You can make a list of priorities but uh, sometimes other things become the priority because they really are urgent. You can't always choose to just sit at Jesus' feet. There is work to be done, not just in the church, but in your world. When you can choose, and on top of everything, not as the number one priority, but as the number one emphasis that guides your priorities, ought to be the Word of God and spending time with the Lord in the Word. Mary's choice... Jesus said, would not be taken away from her. For Mary's part, this meant that her time spent at Jesus' feet would make a lasting difference in her life, both on earth <coughs> excuse me, and in eternity. For Martha's part, this could mean that all her work that day could be taken away from her. When Jesus looked back on her life to reward her, he might reveal that her work on that day in her home was fleshly 
rather than spiritual. You know, the Bible says that all of us as Christians one day will be before the Lord at what's called his reward seat. He's going to review our life so that he can give us rewards. And it's not, he's not trying to slap you down. He's trying to find things to reward you for. And he's letting Martha know, Martha, this is not going to make it on that day because you're blowing it. You think you're serving me, but your attitude proves that you're not. I'd rather you have the right attitude. Either sit at my feet and listen or just get up and serve and hum and be enjoying what you're doing because that's what you feel led to do. But there, there can't be this bad attitude. It might have no place in eternity and it certainly wasn't helping her on earth. Now, Charles Wesley wrote a, a hymn, really, about Martha and Mary. I like it because it's sympathetic to both sisters and insightful. One line of it goes like this. Faithful to my Lord's commands, I still would choose the better part. Serve with careful Mary's hands and loving Mary's heart. And so it draws the best from both of these sisters for our learning. Wesley was on the mark in this sense. It's not a matter of choosing the word over work or vice versa. It's not either or. It's a matter of keeping the emphasis on God's word while you actively work for God. John Newton was also inspired by Martha and Mary to write a hymn. It's a longer portion. Let me just quote it to you. Martha, her love and joy expressed by care to entertain her guest, while Mary sat to hear her Lord and could not bear to lose a word. The principle in both the same produced in each a different aim. The one to feast the Lord was led. The other waited to be fed. But Mary chose the better part. Her Savior's words refreshed her heart. While busy Martha angry grew, lost her time and temper too. With warmth she to her sister spoke, but brought upon herself rebuke. One thing is needful and but one. Why do thy thoughts on many run? How oft are we like Martha vexed, encumbered, hurried, and perplexed. While trifle so engross our thought, the one thing needful is for God. Warren Wearsby summarizes this scene with this tagline, what we do with Jesus is more important than what we do for Jesus. One last thought about your work for God. Don't get so engrossed in it that you forget you are God's work. He is at work in your life to make you more like Jesus. He will complete the work that he began. The attitude, the idea that we have is that the more you're able to spend time in the word, seeing Jesus as he truly is, the more you will be motivated internally by your love for Him to work for Him. And the more that that kind of work will be with joy, not worrying about who else is working, who's, who's getting the glory, those kinds of things, but you're just so excited about what you're doing for the Lord because of all He's done for you. You learn to be content whether you're abounding or whether you're abased because your work is subordinate to the Word. It becomes a part of the Word in your life and it sets you free, really, to worship the Lord, to be 
more like Mary, not shirking work, but always choosing that better part. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these lessons from these dear sisters, friends of yours in Bethany and now in eternity. We want to learn these lessons, Lord, insofar as they're from you and and others that you've suggested to each individual heart, Lord, as we've uh, just simply read your word. Lord, I've read the word and I've come up with some things to say, but your, your people, they've heard you as well. You've suggested things to their hearts and I pray that they would pray about them and then implement them, Lord. And that we'd know we're doing it in a merry kind of way because our hearts would be singing and full of melody and love. We wouldn't be accusing one another, discouraged. Though I am glad that we are familiar with you, Lord, we don't want to come to you and accuse you and think that you're uncaring and unfeeling. We don't want to tell you what to do, Lord. And so I pray that uh, for myself I'd repent of all of those times that I've done that, Lord, and I would just continue to learn to love you, sitting at your feet, Lord, taking that better part. Guide and direct all of us, Lord, as we set our top priority and keep that as our emphasis. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. All right, let's stand together. After our service, some of the guys will be down here to pray with you. If there's something on your heart, uh, something you've been thinking about, an issue, a situation, come on down and pray. Uh, nothing wrong with praying alone. That's fine. But sometimes God wants believers to agree together in prayer so that He can get the greater glory and almost in a more public way. So don't, just come on forward and pray. Uh, if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then we'd love to talk with you about that as well. Uh, the guys would be happy to share with you how to know Jesus. And, and that's really what it's all about, uh, coming to know that God loves you, died for you, rose from the dead, that you might have eternal life. May God bless and keep you in Jesus' name. Amen.
God bless you this week.